are listening to Haunt and Gather, a podcast about the new American folklore in the great outdoors. We'll be discussing one of our first adventures where we encounter a hungry presence on a forgotten country road. And if you're listening from your car, particularly at night, then you're in for a treat because we're talking about all the spirits that just might appear alongside the shoulder and cause your engine to lock up and your body to freeze so that they can feast in road weirds. Are you lost? We'll be exploring some darker themes this evening, so listener discretion is advised. Let's go on an adventure to the brink and back. Maybe get some answers, answers to the big questions. Let's leave our shells and who we are behind. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Haunt and Gather, a paranormal podcast covering the new American folklore in the great outdoors. I'm your host, Jack Krisky. And I'm your other host, Benjamin Bagensky. You're going to get to know us better soon, but first, what is new American folklore? It's a shelf of fungus growing on a tree coveted by the forager, a scrape of iron in a forgotten cemetery, rain beginning to set upon stones and pine needles before we've built our campfire. Our mission in the founding of Haunt and Gather is to get you to the outdoors with a sense of wonder and an open mind. The discussions at Haunt and Gather center on the mystery of the world around us, an infinite, untamed wild that is sometimes beyond our perception. We discuss the homestead, our bastion of calm that abuts the unknown, and, the, and an unpredictable world. We discuss adventure, the times when we leave this cozy place to experience its marvels and its perils. We then tackle hard and soft skills to aid in making both a part of your life, all while telling as many ghost stories as possible. We've coined the phrase New American Folklore as a masthead for the ideas and knowledge that come with exploring the disciplines of homesteading and adventure. New American is typically a culinary term and is an aspect of our modern and evolving culture. We have shamelessly bastardized enough of the world's cuisine to the point where loose categories like Tex-Mex or Asian fusion are meaningless in the world of New American culinary food. Keeping each discipline of ingredients and cooking methods in their own boxes is seen as relict. New American food has a tradition of incorporating the cooking methods and ingredients across cultures in order to create something new. It's a movement from authenticity to experience. Similarly, we are partially shedding behind the categories of formal folklore toward a new universal American lore in which each individual builds their own canon, determining for themselves what wanders the wood and how to best navigate their relationship to it. Name your own hags. And I tend to think in terms of food, so this term seemed fitting. No, it makes sense to me. So folklore is people commonly understand it. It's belief and it's custom. It's a very real thing. But in our modern era, many of us feel disconnected from their superstitions and ancient wisdoms, or even less ancient wisdoms. Folklore becomes little more than a myth. 
an old thing that we know can't hurt us because we don't think it's real. Haunt and Gather addresses our folklore with two words. Folklore, as in lore for folks. Your lore. Uh, your poultices, you know, your hearth. Your belief or your lack of belief when it comes to the unknown. We believe in the unexplained, but not necessarily in the answers that people have come up with to date. And to find the answers, we're going to need your help when it comes to building our new American folklore. So to begin, we wanted to start that discussion with a contribution of our own to this new American folklore, something that we've come to calling road weirds. Hooded figures or shadows that appear by the sides of roads, seeming to have their own hand in engine troubles. This is a story we've heard from many people, all under different names for what they experienced. We begin to found a common thread and wanted to tell the story of the first time we encountered one and had our own thoughts about it. So in 2016, I came up to visit Ben in Syracuse, New York. It was the weekend of Mischief Night and Halloween, and being a couple of mid-20-somethings, we wanted to see what local folklore we could scare up and, you know, what trouble we could get into. Uh, it was a whirlwind tour set up by Ben, taking us to haunted hotspots and interesting locations all over the area, uh, none of which really panned out until so we... No, please. I, I, I did want to first I, I did want to jump in for a moment. Just if you could clarify for the listeners what Mischief Night is in case they haven't heard that term before. Right. Absolutely. So Mischief Night is the night right before Halloween, where Halloween's all about tricks and treats and costumes and candy. Mischief Night is about more mischievous and maybe sometimes harmful pranks. Uh, usually it's an excuse for teenagers with nothing better to do to grab their toilet paper and their shaving cream and go about committing acts of light, usually harmless vandalism. Yet are good enough teenagers that they wait until their assigned night to do that. Exactly. It's, mm -hmm. it is, there's, there, there needs to be honor among vandals or something. <laughs> so, well, we spent our mischief night, uh, by, by looking at different places that could have been haunted. And, and we had some small adventures, things that we would consider adventures. We we had an excursion in an allegedly haunted antique store. We looked at a an exploded split rock quarry mine, and uh, we played a game of tag with a red-tailed fox in a cemetery. Now, the fox part was pretty cool and very unusual, but, I mean, ultimately not haunted. Very oddly peaceful place, though. Uh, but our adventure wound up taking us into uh, our adventure wound up taking us into what was ultimately an interesting road that Ben, if I'm not mistaken, you heard about as just a passing comment from your dentist. Yeah, I had heard it from my dental hygienist. I'd read about this place before. In passing, it didn't seem as anything too interesting. And part of the reason why is I grew up in Syracuse, New York, and you heard about your haunted roads, especially in a more rural area. You're going to get more roads that are allegedly haunted than many buildings. 13 Curves is one such famous haunted road in Syracuse, and a lot of people would drive by it and say, didn't seem anything special to me. 
So I didn't think much about it at the time. But when we hadn't had anything else to do, we were back at my parents' house at the time, and I'd made some apple cider, some spiced apple cider, I believe. Oh, it was delicious, by the way. You you need to publish your ingredients list because I think listeners are going to absolutely love making that recipe. I appreciate it. I was fishing for a compliment. And oh, I, I, bet. I really do think that we were a little disappointed. And I I just said, you know, there is this one other place that we'd heard about from someone. We've learned lessons since. When a local tells you a place is crazy, you listen. So we wound up leaving Ben's house in my uh, beat-up 2000 Corolla and set out into true countryside. Now, leading up to this, it was everything you want for a freaky abandoned road story. Uh, Very remote, not a lot of traffic. I mean, heck, even turning onto the road, there was a freaky abandoned shed leading in. I think there's even rumors about the shed. Uh, someone on death row apparently was supposed to live there with their wife before they were to be hanged. Do do we want to get into a little bit of the, the backstory, some of the legend about this road as well? I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's what drew us there in the first place. This place was also in weird New York. In weird New York, weird Connecticut, weird New Jersey, the weird U.S. series we will definitely bring up probably a lot on this program because those books have served as sort of an earmark for the beginning of a lot of our very successful outings. I I don't know how many of our viewers, I might be dating myself, have watched the movie Men in Black, but you know, there's that one part where Agent J takes or uh, Agent K takes Agent J over to the newsstand and they're flipping through the tabloids and he calls it the hot sheets. You know, that's where all of their alien leads come from. These are kind of our hot sheets. And it's a shame that they're not making more of these, but they were a little formulaic as well. With Whiskey Hollow, you had your your barrel of usual urban legends out in the woods. You had your your KKK would organize and and do their nefarious deeds there. You'd see burning crosses in the woods. Then in the 80s, with a different folk devil, you'd get your Satanists and I guess D&D players killing cats in the woods it changes from time to time, but you'd usually get a ghost in the road and you'd also get groups of people that were ready to kill other people. Those were the two big ones. Now, what I do want to point out is that as much as we might be sort of sensationalizing all of the events surrounding this particular spot, I do want to point out that there are at least two documented deaths on this road. Uh, one was indeed a... Was it a murder? Was it a suicide, Ben? Uh, we we did confirm there was a suicide. Uh, so, uh, 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 an historian that we had spoken with had claimed that they had found a record of a suicide from someone who I believe was from Buffalo uh, that we should try to confirm afterwards. The well-known case was a murder where the murder happened off-site and... The body was dumped at a spot on Whiskey Hollow Road. That's right. And we did actually manage to find that site based on old newspaper articles and descriptions of the area. Uh, I believe we also have multiple instances of vehicles running off the road as well. 
it's it's a strange it's a strange history and a lot of times people filling in the gaps would talk about a cave that was by whiskey hollow road uh now we will get into this cave and the significance of the layout but for now suffice to say there are different landmarks that you will hear about when you're looking into legends of whiskey hollow road so we're we're driving up towards this road at night and uh jack you had pulled onto the street finally and it was a quiet street it's the kind of street you have to want to be there if you're there you're only on that road to be on that road in fact they had even blocked it off at night if i remember Oh, and I mean, quiet is an absolute understatement. I would truly call it an abandoned road. Uh, It does not look like it's particularly well-maintained. There is a nature trail on it. That was pretty neat. But um, that was, yes, it's not heavily trafficked, which is what made it very surprising that a car passed us going the other way on our way in. And that was the first time that I will say we were a little alarmed because... The car had pulled up in front of the little alcove we had pulled into uh, near a little stream that was trickling under the car. And I will admit the first thing I thought was, okay, the the murder people are real. Whatever new nefarious form they are taking in this day and age, uh, they've, they've pulled in front of our car and we're going to be murdered. So... We had actually been sitting there for about five, ten minutes with the car off, the lights off, just, you know, going dark, so to speak, to acclimate to the surroundings. So when this vehicle pulls up in front of us, we were both very unsettled. And I remember specifically turning over or looking over to Ben and saying, you know, call it. What are you thinking? And he basically says, get ready to go. And that's when the door opens. (laughs) It's like. Like a a movie scene, the doors open and these teenagers come stumbling out. I swear one of them was wearing one of those letter varsity jackets. The whatever music the kids are listening to these days is pouring oh, out of the was, car. It was Eurobeat. It was great. And the first thought that we had was cult members don't listen to Eurobeat. Cult members don't listen to Eurobeat. We know this. This is well established. <laughs> bunch of bunch of, you know jocks who die in act one of the movie and a bunch of of shrieking giggling young women very typecast all of them come tumbling out of this car second car pulls up as well two cars full of teenagers (laughs) question mark listening to Eurobeats? question mark so we uh we kind of chuckled to ourselves and you know, I think there was that mutual look at each other where we're like, man, we need to stop getting carried away with this stuff. This is nothing to worry about. Uh, however, we also don't want to be trying to conduct, I'll, I'll say, a semi-serious paranormal investigation in the midst of all of this going on. So they're running around on the road doing what they're going to do, you know, creeping each other out on mischief night. And we take off up the nature trail. Now, this was not a graceful transition out of the car because we were geared up for war. The last place we were at, I had been chased out before by coyotes. Uh, I had recently bought uh, Jack a Blackthorn shillelagh as a gift. I had my shillelagh. It's my good ch- luck charm. Um, and we, we're, we've got, you know, knives on our belts. We're, we're ready. We're ready in case like things with sharp teeth 
are going to give us problems in the middle of nowhere. And so two two very odd looking people geared up for the apocalypse. I, I think I was wearing a great coat. Yes, you were wearing a great coat. And <laughs> they they audibly said, it's the cops. And they get in their car. We we had to talk them down. <laughs> we're like, no, we promise we're not cops. Well, if, even if I remember correctly, the first time I was kind of like, like, Jack, they're going to spoil the mood. So we went to drive up the street first and they didn't know yet that we were or weren't cops. We're just two two people who came crawling out of a, of a suspicious black car. Oh, my gosh. That's that right. They apparently hadn't noticed. Yes. We we did and, too good a job pulling off to the side to not be noticed. And it turns out actually that my great grandfather uh, built an uh, built grew an apple orchard at the end of the street, which I did not know about. Um, All kinds of weird, interesting trivia here. <laughs> we reached, we turned around, we were coming back, and these kids are hiding in the ditches from the headlights. Holding very still, like we're T Rexes and could not see them. So these very good kids, when we when we park, must have been like, okay, they've seen us. Let's the, the jigs up. Let's talk to them. And I remember we got out of our car to talk them down, like you said. And I think that's when I tripped on my shillelagh. Yes. Oh man, it was. Uh, if there was any tension, it broke right then. And at that point in time. They went off to to giggle and shriek and cajole one another off in one direction. And then we went towards the nature trail, um, which goes up a hill into the woods. So it's actually pretty cool. We went back multiple times, which we'll get into uh, sometimes during the day. Beautiful place, like freakiness notwithstanding, beautiful place. But tonight. It was kind of creepy. So we go up the trail and it actually walks. It goes along the edge of the top of a ravine. The way up there, we had found a couple of checkpoints. Uh, The first one I remember was uh, we called it the North Tower because of someone spray painted what looked like a building with an antenna on one of the trees. And also littered around a, a sort of a former bonfire. There was a lot of spray cans and paper bags because it's central New York and there's not much to do besides huffing paint. Um, but but the, 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 at that point in time, I, I wasn't too spooked because uh, Jack has good vision and I rely on my hearing much more. And... I felt reassured because I could hear the teenagers still kind of laughing in the distance. So at this point in time, I didn't feel off and I didn't feel alone in the woods. No, and I mean, this is everything seemed normal up to this point. Everything was going totally fine. Like Ben said, we're hearing the kids having a great time on the road, some good, clean, you know, spooky stories in the dark sort of fun. Um so we figure, OK, there's not much to be gained here before we do any stop and listen, maybe a recording session. Let's go a little further. So we we get up the hill 
And this is at the intersection is the first time you had expressed some misgivings, which was strange. You're you're usually the one who's going to be more grounded. And I'm typically the one who's going to give into what vibe I think the place is giving off. Yes. So it's right around this time that a feeling that I couldn't initially place, but realized what it was later starts to kick in and i'm just feeling really uneasy i'm feeling very skittish uh there's no immediate you know i see something i hear something i feel something uh but it's just that sort of electricity on the back of your neck that makes the hair stand up kind of feeling and that was when i expressed my first concerns to ben now this was our first this was our first outdoor sort of paranormal sojourn. Now, if anyone I was with expressed misgivings, we would we'd do something about that. We would turn around. We would take a break. Uh, this, not at that point in time. Um, I, I insisted that we go on because I felt fine and I was I was anxious to see the, the trail through, unfortunately. No, Ben was an absolute man on a mission. Uh, so we go ahead and we do continue. We proceed to our next checkpoint, which wasn't really anything notable. Um, just a random spot on the path. It was dark. I believe it was a lot harder to hear the kids at that point. And that was when Ben said, OK, let's stop. Lights off. Let's do a recording session. And this was the only time that we have ever done a recording session. Uh, as you will learn we have a lot of rules and methods that we follow, uh, especially when dealing with an area that might be ghostly, an area that might be haunted. We did not have these rules in place. This was this was how we learned why these rules might matter. So I took an EVP session. I asked a couple of questions. Um, one of the first ones that I asked was, you know, is there anybody there? Uh, as I continue to speak into my iPhone recorder, um, you know, I couldn't think of what to ask. Are you dead? I think you asked, how did you die? But how did the, you die? The biggest question you asked, you saved for last. Are you lost? That was the question where immediately I felt like there were eyes on me. Something just in the darkness in the tree line was there looking back at us. I felt very watched. Yeah, it was not a good feeling, and that was when I vocally said to Ben, not for the for the first time, but not the last, I really think we need to turn around and go back. Now, I want to stress, we still heard the kids back at the road at this point. We weren't that far in, uh, but the night was very quiet. The wind was whipping up along the treetops, not quite making it to the ground, Uh there was nothing off except this feeling. And to my credit, when you said that, I know <laughs> I said we should keep going at this point, didn't I? You did. You said, you know I'm what? I'm sorry. No, it's fine. We've learned a lot since then. But uh, you, you said, you know what? Now I'm feeling it, too. But let's go a little bit further. This is what we came here for. Let's see what we can find. And we didn't get much farther after that. 
we we begin to go down into a ravine and there was a tree crossing our path we saw something uh, some kind of shape uh off that we couldn't make out quite what it was on a ledge and we both knew it was time to turn around there but we didn't we continued about 20 feet down the path it started to go downhill toward this ravine that's when we find the fallen tree and that's when ben asks me jack what do you think and i told him that every fiber of my being is telling me do not go down into that ravine we need to turn around so he was pretty emphatic and i was also feeling off by this point in time i couldn't shake that feeling so it from the recording so it no longer seemed to me like i had just spooked myself there there really seemed to be something to our back or down in front of us and we turned around we headed back and a couple times we turned the lights out again and stopped to acclimate maybe hear some forest sounds and we also heard uh what sounded to be uh, four-wheelers driving on the road. So again, there was some noise nearby. Right. So it wasn't anything too out of the ordinary. The woods were very quiet. We're still feeling very uneasy. Uh, not not so unsettled that we're not stopping every now and again, like Ben said, to do sort of a look and listen. Uh, even when it comes to, never mind looking for spooky things, when you're out in the woods, Sometimes just stopping to acclimate to your surroundings is a good idea. You know, any sort of animal, any kind of odd activity, you can hear and observe a lot when you are not contributing to the noise. And this is so important. If you take anything away from this, one thing that we did right is to acclimate constantly. And Oftentimes, a minute or two can be enough to calm the group down so that people aren't spooking each other. Five minutes, even better. The longer you can spend in a given area or on a path to let your eyes adjust, to let your ears adjust, it it will tell you when it's not something strange, when it's just you being a diurnal mammal in a forest at night and it's getting to you. Let that kind of detox from you a little bit, get out of the defensive thinking, or conversely, this is when you'll know that you have a problem on hand. No, exactly. And that translates to the outdoors, uh, but really uh, a crisis, any kind of high stress situation, unless you're in direct danger, taking those few seconds to stop, get your bearings, plan out your next move is never time wasted. Uh, but to kind of get get us back on the path, so to speak, uh, we're continuing on our way back. And we heard right, right as we were getting to the trail, we heard the teenagers again because, you know, we, we hear uh, uh, a woman scream. It doubtlessly is one of the one of the young men are, are frightening her. And I think I think I even said, damn, kids. No, we did. We did the whole, uh, you know, fake shaking our fist and the old man voice of those damn kids. Uh, <laughs> they were they were still carrying on and having a grand old time, apparently. Uh, so we get through, we get to the North Tower and we start making our way down the hill toward the road. And when we get to the road, instead of heading left back towards the car, uh, we we take a right uh, for a couple reasons. There, there's well, uh, 
a I'll, sign down there. I'll jump in really quick. You took a right. I took a left and looked back at you like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I heard the scream had come from that way. I saw the teenagers had, had moved their car. Um, I knew there'd be people probably to the right, but uh, there was also some kind of sign down there. And I, I wanted to check that out because uh, I was feeling better at the road. So Ben was feeling better. I very much was not. And I asked, you know, what are you doing? And Ben did say, I want to go check on the kids. And my first response was, they're gone, man. Their car was right here and now it's not. We're it right now. So that hadn't really registered with me yet. I'm walking and and Jack, Jack catches up to me. We make it about 20 feet. When we stop in our tracks at the same time without saying a word to each other, because we both felt the same feeling at the same time. It is like nothing I experienced before or have experienced since. Uh, We were both frozen in our tracks because walking flat out in the open in the middle of the road, we both felt a, a puff of warm air right in our faces. And this this wasn't air passing through the grove of trees. This it felt like dead, dead breath. It, it just this this bad feeling immediately hits the both of us. It, it seems to creep right on us. <sighs> and and that we look was... at each other. And he looks at me wide eyed. I look back at him and I just shake my head. No. And this is important. We don't run. We turn around and we purposefully walk back to the car. Uh, Not a word between us, but unlock the car, calmly put our things in, hop in, start the engine and drive off. It's only when we're heading back to a safe place, back to the haven of my family's house, when it occurred to me that those four wheelers That would have been the teenagers' cars as they're leaving, which raises the question. So they left in a hurry, but more importantly, they left early. Who screamed? And that's something we've been grappling with for years now. It was after coming to that realization that we played the audio back that we had recorded with a little bit of trepidation. When I got to the question, are you lost? I listened very closely at the audio. I didn't hear anything, but I don't know that I didn't not hear anything either. What I mean is this. We could have played that audio. We could have enhanced it, and maybe we would have heard something that would have matched what we had felt in that moment. But we took a different route instead with that audio clip. Yes, so... There was a little bit of discussion back and forth, but Ben ultimately made the decision, and I agreed with him that the audio should be deleted. I didn't want any attachment following us. What we had felt on that road was negative. Think about it. Jack had a very negative feeling. Then we seemed to tempt it and have it notice us even more when we asked the question if it was lost. On our way back, we hear a scream. When there was no one there to have made the scream, we then feel a horrible breathing sensation on our faces, causing both of us to turn around without nary a word. 
And I I want to emphasize this. I it was a breath. Uh it was a breath from something we could not see right in front of us. It was a breath. Yes. Yeah, it that was, just yeah. right right in our faces. It's warmer than the air outside. Uh you know, didn't didn't have the presence of mind to smell it. Don't know if uh don't know if whatever this was uses Listerine, but uh it was very much a breath and it felt awful. So uh, Obviously, we went back the next day. Yes, we were not deterred. Uh, we went back the next day, and we went on a lovely day hike. I will tell you, the road looks very different in the daytime. Uh, Beautiful but we want- in the autumn. So much foliage. Absolutely. And we figured, let's go ahead and explore the road a bit and try the nature trail again. Now, something interesting happened on the nature trail. We felt much better during the day, but eventually when we felt like it was time to go back and there was a little bit of an uneasy feeling rising, welling up in us, we began to experience us not being quite alone in these woods. Yes. So periodically as we were walking along the trail, and I want to stress that I was doing this specifically because of our experiences last night i would occasionally look back and i did not know if it was my eyes playing tricks on me or not but it seemed that a few maybe 100 plus 150 yards back in the woods it almost looked like there was something kind of dark and shadowy that would occasionally flit between trees or peek at us from around the trees And it wasn't just you. We had brought another friend with us at that point in time, and they had also reported that they were seeing something moving in the trees. I also myself saw this thing in the trees without confirming to them audibly at that point in time that I was seeing something. I would say about, for me, 200 feet away from the same direction the others were reporting, something roughly six feet in height, shadowy, peeking out from the sides of trees. And this is not something that we mentioned to each other until afterwards. And what provoked that conversation was it didn't happen until we were back at the road. And it was incredibly profound, Um, very, very kind of heavy and impactful. I'm actually going to completely leave this part of the story to you, because this time I was heading straight back towards the car And I didn't look behind me. (laughs) That's right. So at this point, Ben makes a break back toward the car and we go as well. It's at this point that our friend starts feeling very sick and unwell. And what I wound up looking back toward the road, weird kind of swapping of positions at this point. As I look back toward the road, I see this shadowy mass, and we are talking, it is late morning, early afternoon, clear as day, beautiful sunny fall day, and I see this black shape drift across the road, finish crossing the road, and on the other side of the road is an embankment leading down to a creek, appropriately named Dead Creek, which we laughed about, but it was a lot less funny the second time we went back. Um this thing just floated level with the road across and over the creek until it disappeared. And uh, yeah, at that point, it was time to go. Obviously, with any event that would shake you up as much as seeing an apparition, 
I don't believe it was your first by that point in time. And those are stories for another day. But this was the most in your face that you had experienced up to that point, correct? Oh, 100 percent. I I've never seen a full body looks like a regular person until it's gone apparition. But this was my my first full on shadow person. And it was jarring. Uh, there was no it wasn't super dramatic. You know, it wasn't cold suddenly and there was no creeping sense of dread. Uh, it was just kind of the the inherent wrongness that hits you when you see something that shouldn't exist smack in your face in broad daylight. No. And obviously, uh, Jack was there for mischief night the day before Halloween. Then he was here on Halloween, the day that we went the second time. Very surprised there was not more traffic on Halloween at Whiskey Hollow. But there you have it. It was pretty much ours. Jack returns home. I'm still visiting my parents for some time. But I go back the next day. We just don't learn. No, we we don't learn, or at least we hadn't learned yet. So I come back with a friend who was there with us on visit to, and I brought an additional friend this time who I gave no information to. I'd begun to have a theory forming about the significance of Dead Creek, as opposed to the nature trail and as opposed to the cave where a lot of the lore happens. The cave, by the way, isn't really a cave. It was more of a rock shelf that had since collapsed. But it seems like the car crashes, the dumped bodies, and anything nefarious happens at Dead Creek. More telling is the fact that every time we had actually had a face-to-face encounter, be it the breathing or the entity that Jack saw, it was by the creek, at the road. A haunted forest is going to be very tempting for anyone who's building an urban legend, and you have a nature trail right there. You get the heebie-jeebies on the trail. You get the sense that you're being followed. But it seems like this thing is very concentrated to the creek. So I wanted to make a point to avoid the trail today to test out a theory. So we mentioned road weirds at the beginning of the episode and what these creatures are and what they're about. Now, we had a few takeaways from this. Uh, Number one, I finally identified the feeling that was hitting me that was telling me to leave. And that was very much my my little lizard brain fight or flight instinct. Something was identifying this as a threat. And the feeling that I was getting is one that I have not experienced many times in my life, but it's a it's a number greater than zero. Uh, We were being stalked. So you're saying it's like a predator prey instinct. One hundred percent. This this is the same kind of creeping. I'm being observed. There is a a near peer adversary out there uh, similar to. When I've been stalked by mountain lions to when I've encountered koi dogs, less so with coyotes. They're a bunch of friggin' cowards, but um, they're they're still they're they're still they can still be dangerous. I don't want to underestimate coyotes, but there there's worse out there. Uh, But it, it was still that same feeling of there is something here that seems like it wants to hunt me. Now, that might be why you had sensed it before I did. I feel like that's something you've had more experience with and something you'd be more attuned to. So I I have spent not an insignificant time in the outdoors. I, you know, 
this is going to sound so lame, but I was I was in the Boy Scouts. I did make it all the way up to Eagle Scout, which is less lame. Um, I've I've spent a not insignificant amount of time out in the backcountry, outside camping, either by myself or with small groups of people. Um, you know, the the woods are not something that is alien to me, which is why something like this is I find it just fascinating. Well, this there's a reason that we're talking about the predator prey instinct when we brought our our friend who was left a little in the dark about this to the water. Again, there were many tactics maybe looking back on this ethically that uh, I, I, I wouldn't condone nowadays. It, but it's a good thing it wasn't a formal experiment. Very. It, yeah, I, I won't say I quite got up to Zimbardo, but I was I was I was I was a Milgram, maybe. So the our control variable was by the water. And I said that we just look around the water for a little bit and him and uh, our, our other friend uh, both began to feel very sick uh, to the point where even um, the friend who wasn't clued into any lore asked me, he goes, are you sure there's no history by the water here? Because this feels terrible. And I kind of, you know, congratulations, you solved the riddle. This is the bad place. And we, and we left. Uh, but this comes up a lot with uh, a lot of road weird lore is there are concentrated areas where these things, I think, nest. And perhaps I'm giving up a little bit of the goods about what the story might actually be about but it's not a traditional ghost story no it's not i you you might have noticed you know perceptive listeners might have picked up on we have not once mentioned that we think that it is a a dead person a ghost some kind of conventional presence um we really do believe that this is something that's a lot more animalistic in nature i don't want to say primitive but something that operates on a far more i guess instinctual level uh it has territory it has hunting grounds it has areas that it wants to get its prey into there have been legends for thousands of years about jinn types of jinn who wander the wilderness but would waylay travelers on the side of the road Beings that have needs and hunger. Think about what a road is. Think about how many people are constantly passing by a road. You have a very active place full of energy passing along like the water of a stream. Now, think of something by the side of the road, a hunter. No, exactly. And like a hunter or another ambush predator, they want to set their hide up near the action but not right in the middle of it and these places tend to be more out of the way they're next to heavy traffic but they're not part of the heavy traffic how often for example does a driver stop and hang out on a median by the side of a highway that's where you get ticks no one does that no exactly i don't want to be there well this is the exact kind of place where you could have a supernatural entity that's going to have some sort of hunting capacity There are many legends about phantom hitchhikers or hooded figures that appear on the sides of roads. People will look in their rearview mirror and wonder, what was it that I just saw? 
In fact, uh, both of us have some degree of experience with this. And at this point in time, I'd like to get away a little bit from Whiskey Hollow for a moment, which is an intimate case study in what perhaps a a layer and a pattern of one of these things looks like. And, and let's give each of our more typical road weird stories. No, absolutely. So mine was mine took place actually on New Year's Eve, I guess early New Year's Day. Uh, I had been back home in Connecticut at a friend's party a few towns over and was in the process of driving back. This had to be maybe 2013, 2014, a couple of years before Whiskey Hollow. And I was driving back along, it's called, a, it, it's a connector. It's a small section of highway that's just off the interstate that takes you to a few exits in towns, not the least of which is mine. Uh, so I'm driving along, it's about two in the morning. And I'm driving over an overpass, you know, I'm driving over a bridge. And I notice as I'm driving at the very safe speed of 80 plus miles an hour that there seems to be this really tall figure on the side of the road underneath the sodium lamp. I would estimate six plus feet tall. Couldn't see anything about it except that it seemed to be just draped in black rags, maybe a really raggedy black cloak. Um not not really well defined but i go past it and as i clear the bridge and i'm looking in my rear view to try to figure out what exactly this thing is it is like a lightning bolt of cold goes down my spine and i just shudder violently and at that point i i can't move <laughs> um my my arms are kind of locked in position and I'm continuing down the road with my foot locked on the gas pedal. And we're coming up to a curve. And as we're starting to go around this curve, the, the car's not turning because I can't I can't turn it. I can't move. And it's not until the vehicle starts careening over the rumble strip that that sort of jars me out of it. You know, the car kind of getting that sound is it, it hits the rumble strip and it's like I'm shocked out of it. And I quickly course correct and slow the heck down and I make it to the stoplight at the end and I'm sitting there just completely shaken. You know, it's, it's just this feeling of what did I see? What just happened? I'm freaking out. Um, you know, it it was jarring. Uh, I don't know what would have happened had I spun out and crashed. I remember getting that phone call from you. Yeah, I uh, my voice was uh, my voice was shaking. I kind of described to you exactly what happened. And I I think it kind of started to define we didn't know it at the time, but it kind of started to define our process and what we're looking for and sort of gave us our first lead as to what to start digging into and looking into these sorts of things. And I had a similar a similar situation where I was driving. I'd only just started driving. I, I was, I started driving pretty late in my life. I, I think right after I had my license during law school and I didn't start driving, like really had a car until I got my first job. And then I made up for lost time because I had to drive all over New York state for that job. But uh, I had gotten an apartment in Albany, New York, which is towards the east side of the state, smack dab in the middle. And I remember driving from Syracuse 
eastwards towards Albany, and there was a sun shower. But this was the heaviest sun shower you ever saw. There was rain coming down. You could see everything clearly, you know, if you could, you know, squint through the fact that you were underwater. And I'm white knuckling through it because, again, I have very little driving experience. And um, uh, my mother was in the car with me. And I remember looking out the side of the window. And there were cars pulled over with their hazard lights on because of the inclement weather. And there was one car that had its doors open. And there are fields um, in this part of the this part of the country was probably close to Utica, kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. And there's meadows. And through one of these meadows, there is a figure moving towards this car. Uh, roughly human in in form in the fact that it was, I would say, a cylindrical six-feet thing. But all it was was displaced rain moving towards this car. I remember driving past that and just wondering. It's almost like the Predator moving in on these guys. It was the strangest thing I've seen um, because I wasn't looking at a thing. I was looking at I could see the matter of rain interplaying off of something. It it was if it was my eyes playing tricks on me, it was the strangest thing I've seen. But I immediately thought of that story that that you told. Because. It lined up with that and it lined up with many other stories that I had heard from people, firsthand accounts where people say I was driving the side of a road. I saw a shape. It was a hooded figure. It was rags. It was an old man in a cloak. Uh, And I always ask, could it have been a traffic sign covered by a black trash bag? Could it have been this? Could it have been that? They usually report some sudden, heavy, intense fear locking up or car issues. There's a lot of strange that comes with this. Now, we're going to definitely get back to your road weird story again in a future episode because... Your experience was connected with something else that we were at the tail end of something else at that point in time, which I suppose was our first true paranormal uh, adventure that we had together. That's definitely a story for another day. No, 100 percent. But it does it does bear telling. Uh, We were not. We were not as good then, even as we were at Whiskey Hollow, and we have still gotten better since Whiskey Hollow. So our our processes weren't the they weren't great at that point. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I I do think, though, that um, these road weirds, the the pattern that we are taking from these from both the folklore that we've heard that can predate. Any stories we've heard on this continent uh, to what people are talking about with a lot of road based. I have a ghost stories. It will usually involve something that appears at the side of a road. And it seems to have the intent of causing some kind of car issue or has a vested interest in getting people to spend an inordinate amount of time on that side of the road. And the the cool part, sort of the the analytical part that I want to dig deeper into, we don't have a ton of data on it yet, but. Is there a difference between the entities that attack your car 
and cause malfunctions or engine trouble, what have you. And the ones that go after you specifically, causing you to freeze, causing you to lock up. That's the other thing is you have enough repeating forms that people talk about. Um, Whiskey Hollow, while we didn't have engine troubles, it looks like it was a it was a shadow. And uh, there are people who are in cloaks, but a face is seen. The rags, classic women in white hitchhikers. Um, there seem to be enough repeating types where I wonder if they are related to each other in some way or if these are different competing types of of supernatural beings, which all have access to the same watering hole, which is humans all traveling along one similar route. It it definitely bears digging into and it would be it would be cool if we could identify species or subspecies, you know kind of digging back into that sort of ambush predator animalistic classification uh you know can we can we diagnose these things can we learn a bit more about them what are their habits what are their mannerisms and finally what are the overarching patterns that we see in how they're operating with uh with whiskey hollow we have something where there is going to be a couple different stages to the haunting itself haunting or hunting here um a play of words we at haunting gather are not unfamiliar with uh the the being is following you for some time in the woods we felt this at night we saw it by day but it doesn't actually do anything until you're getting closer to its nexus this area by dead creek where its presence seems to be the strongest i would assume it's tracking you up to that point in time for some reason but it can only interact with you get what it needs from you in that moment and it is interesting as well it's almost like once you get to the road the first time it doesn't manifest the first time uh, it's almost like the fly hitting that little thread in a spider's web that alerts it to your presence. Okay, now you're moving along the path and it is on alert and it knows you're there. So like Ben said, it's going to start scoping you out, you know, figuring out what you're doing, what your intention is. But it knows on some level you're going to come back to the road. And that's when it goes ahead and it sets its trap to do whatever it is it's going to do to get whatever it needs from you. Uh, but it's not the first time, it's the second time. It's when you return that it gets ready to spring whatever it is it's going to spring. And as we're beginning to drive down towards our conclusions for today, I would stress two takeaways. One, a piece of advice with anyone who is going on any kind of adventure into the wilderness, particularly if they're looking into the unknown. Remember to take a point in time when you acclimate to the sounds around you, you turn out your flashlights and you seek quiet and you hold still with everyone else and you get used to your surroundings. The second takeaway is to remember when we're looking into the unknown that we look for patterns with road weirds, as we call them, and with other hauntings. One of the things to look for is at what point in time does this thing seem to be getting what it needs? 
And with those to chew on, we hope you guys have an excellent evening. Please be safe out there on your adventures. I'm Jack Krisky. And I'm Ben Bogensky. Have a good night, everyone. Haunt and Gather, a paranormal podcast exploring the new American folklore in the great outdoors, is written and produced by Benjamin Bogensky and Jack Krisky. Our theme song, Into the Red Light, is used with permission and performed by Beezus Taylor and the Funeral Party. You can find her album, The Ghost Hunter's Handbook, on Spotify and YouTube. Shells and